Welcome, everybody. Happy Sabbath. It's nice to be here with everybody. Seems like we had a little bit of technical uh, difficulty there, but uh, God's blessed us. We've gotten past that. And so now we move ahead. Well, look, let's just get right into it. Um, let's tr- begin in Genesis 16. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a number of stories, mostly, most all from the Bible. I have, If I can squeeze one in later, uh, that's not in the Bible, then I'll do that. But um, all these stories are going to be from the Bible. And we're, these stories refer to how God has opened people's eyes and even animals' eyes. And, uh, and we're going to look at how God could open our eyes as well. Or if he has, and has he opened our eyes spiritually? And that's the key thing. We need to make sure that we have our eyes open spiritually so that we can see understand and obey his voice. Okay, so let's start in um, Genesis 16. And what this uh, story is about, this is about Abram and Sarai. And they were married and not having any children. And so uh, Sarai offered her handmaid. Uh, Abram went into Hagar, or Hagar, or Hagar. And it says in verse 4, uh, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar opened, uh, when Hagar saw, we need the key on all of the words with saw, seen, opened the eyes, all these things. That's what I'm, one of the things we're going to be keen on tonight. And when she saw that she had conceived, now did she see her conception within her womb? No, but she realized it. And so this is an awareness or a a uh, um, mental awakening. So she saw that she had conceived. And when this occurred, she looked upon her mistress with contempt. And Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I've given my maidservant unto your bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. So there's a lot of work that God does here using the the eyes as as far as a, an understanding or a knowing. But it goes much further. It goes spiritually, doesn't it? Um, then it says, But I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and you. Now this word judge, it has a peculiar meaning. It means actually to uphold or to champion the cause of. And so it wasn't like as Sarai was asking God, God, you know, judge between me and Abram and punish my husband because, you know, the handmaid doesn't like me now. It wasn't that. It was, Lord, champion my cause. I've done everything right. And here, help me in this. And so uh, God did. And Abram said to Sarai, verse 6, Behold, your maidservant is in your hand, to do with as it pleases you. And Sarai dealt harshly with her. She wasn't converted yet. And so she dealt harshly with her. And she fled from her presence. Now there's two she's her are here. She, Hagar, fled from Sarai's presence. Now here's where it starts to get interesting. And the angel of the Lord, I want you to, Key in on that phrase because this is gonna, we'll see this a number of times, the angel of the Lord. Found her by a fountain of water in a wilderness by the fountain of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maidservant, where did you come from? And where will you go? And thus we have the cotton eye Joe. Nah, that, but, uh, and then she said, I flee from the presence of my mistress Sarai. I've just had it up to here and I can't take it no more. And the angel of the Lord, again that phrase, said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord um, saw her, uh, said to her, I will multiply your seed exceedingly so that they shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord, this is like the fourth time we're, third or fourth time we're seeing this, fourth time, uh, said to her, Behold, what is behold? It's like saying, Look, 
that's a common parlance now. Uh, in Louisiana, it's like, uh, come see. And it's, it doesn't matter if it's adult to adult, adult to child, or even child to an adult. It's not rude to say, come see. You know, come look at this. Or understand this by looking here. Or look, behold, you are with child and shall bear a son. This is a blessing to you. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall live in the presence of all his brothers. And she called the name of the Lord who had spoken to her. Now, interesting, she called the name of the Lord who had spoken to her. We'll come back to the phrase, angel of the Lord, in, in just a little bit. But look what she says next. You are a God of seeing. For she said, even here have I seen him that sees me. Now, could she in her regular vision be able to see the angel of the Lord? The spiritual essence of the individual that who appeared to her? Well, no, she would not be able to. So her, God had to open her eyes and allowed her to see something that was not within her purview. And then she recognized that the Lord God actually saw her. And that she called him that he was a God of seeing and that I have even seen the God who sees me. Amazing! This has raised her to a new level, a higher level. Verse 14, Therefore, the, the well where she had been found was called the well of the living one seeing me. Pretty sweet, huh? Now, let's go to uh, uh, chapter 21 and verse 19. There's a lot of seeing, there's a lot of beholding, there's a lot of knowing. And uh, so... We just have to understand what it is that God's trying to tell us. This is the second time that Hagar saw the angel of the Lord. And here it is in uh, Genesis 21, verse 19. Let's start in 17. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of the heavens and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? What's the matter? What's, what's up? You know, what's wrong with you? Do, do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Now, she'd already received the promise that Ishmael would be the father of many, right? Rise up. Hmm, I skipped ahead. Um, do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Rise up, lift up the boy, and hold him up with your right your hand, and I will make him a great nation. Now, the situation here was that she'd given up all hope. Sarah had sent her away, or Sarai at this point. I think it's Sarah at this point, Sarah at this point. Sarah had sent her away again, and she's in the desert, and she set her baby boy over under a bush so she didn't have to see him die. And she went away, and she and the baby wouldn't see her die because they were thirsting to death. Okay? They were they're starving to death of water. Uh, so they, so now the angel of the Lord appears to her again and says, hey, come check this out. Verse 19, and God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, was the well of water already there and God was just now opening her eyes so that she could see it? Or... Did God just create the well, and then her eyes could see what he had just made? Or had it been obfuscated or hidden from her view? Had she not been able to see it until God opened her eyes? That's what I think. I think it was there all the time. But but God opened her eyes, and he kind of clouded her eyes. And there was a, a blindness that he imparted to her to see whether she was going to trust him or not and see if she would call him his name. Let's keep going because we've got a lot of stories to go. Anyway, she he opened Hagar's eyes to be able to see a well. 22, uh, chapter 22, 9, uh, 
verse 9, the second portion. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the wood upon the altar. And we're going through 13 on this. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord, we've heard that term before, right? Called to him from the heavens and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand upon the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, is this the angel of the Lord talking? He says, from me. You haven't withheld your son from me. Well, we're going to understand the word for angel here in just a little bit. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. We're keen on seeing, right? So he lifted up his eyes and looked. Now, Fred said many times that he thinks that God created the ram and had him, his horns caught in the thicket right then. Entirely possible. Or it could have been there all along just waiting for the time when God would remove that veil so that he could show him. And God already had it there in the wings waiting for him if Abraham chose correctly. I don't know. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was entangled in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of this place the Lord will provide, so that it is said unto this day in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Uh, again, it talks about the angel of the Lord called Abraham out of the heaven the second time. Very interesting. Let's now go to Numbers 22. Numbers 22. And we're going to see, this is the story of Balak and Balaam and Balaam's ass. And sometimes I feel like I work for Balaam. <laughs> I'm, I'm that donkey. Sometimes uh, it, it just gets a little bit rough out there, doesn't it? So this is um, uh, this story is uh, pretty self-evident. But let's start in verse 20, and we'll just kind of skip through things and see it. But this is a humorous story, and so amazing that God's sense of humor comes out so clearly, and and that Balaam is so oblivious. Take notice. He's so oblivious when the donkey talks to him. And, and, and he's not surprised by that at all, it seems. So uh, Numbers 22 and verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come and call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I say to you, that you shall do. And Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the rulers of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, Michael Heiss has explained this. This is, there's two meanings of go with or went. And so he says you can accompany them on their way to go with them. But he went with them in spirit. And he was wanting to go with them and to try to help them against Israel. Thus, God's anger was kindled. And the angel of the Lord, what? We've heard that again. Again, there it is. We've heard that before. Stood in the way as an enemy against him. And as he was riding upon his donkey, and his two servants were along with him. Then the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Now, how could the donkey see this unless God opened the donkey's eyes? God opened the donkey's eyes to see something spiritual. He's giving a spiritual attribute to a mere animal, subordinate to the human. Amazing, right? But the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and the sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way. He didn't want to go over there. And he went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back into the way. Go, Come on, let's, let's, let's get back on the path. Let's go back to the trail. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path in the vineyards 
a wall on one side and a wall on the other side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he saw the angel of the Lord again. She pushed herself, the donkey did, into the wall, and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. This should remind us of Matthew 7. But the angel stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she just fell down underneath Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with the staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. He's imparting, this is humanization. This is like Mickey Mouse talking Right, But this is in reality because God created this very specific thing that was so highly unusual and not, not happened before uh, since uh, the, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did an animal talk? And she said to Balaam, Master, you know, I'm kind of whining here. Yeah, what have I done to you that you've beaten me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, what? A talking donkey? This is amazing. I'm rich. Let's go on tour. I'm going to... Well, I have a doc, talking donkey. He didn't do that at all. Balaam talked with the donkey like it was an everyday occurrence. Like like it was nothing. You think Balaam's eyes were shadowed, shielded? I think so. Balaam responded to the donkey. Yeah, it's because you've mocked me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for right now. I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, now he's reasoning with him. Now, not only is he speaking, not only did he have a spiritual sight, but now he's reasoning and out-reasoning a prophet of God. Am I not your donkey upon which you have ridden ever since I was yours to this very day? Was I ever known to do this to you? And I should have said, yeah. And he said, well, no. Balaam. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. Before his eyes were closed. Even though he could see, he could see the donkey. He couldn't see the spiritual. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Behold, I came out to withstand you because your way is perverse unto me. So uh, we could see again in verse 34, the angel of the Lord. He says, I have sinned. Verse 35, And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with him in, but only do the words that I shall speak to you, that you shall that you shall speak. And if you'll notice, those are the same words the angel of the Lord gave when we see in verse 20, and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to you, rise up and go with him, only do the words which I say to you, that that shall you do. So those are the same words, but it was God that came to him at night, and now it's the angel of the Lord here. So, <clears throat> allow me possibly <laughs> to open your eyes just a little bit to a little bit of understanding. Perhaps you already know this, and, and that's fine and good, and I'm glad for that. But the angel of the Lord, the word for angel in Hebrew is malak, M-A-L-A-K, malak. And it simply means messenger. So when we see the messenger of the Lord talking to Hagar and Hagar and Abraham and, and Balaam's uh, Balaam, it's very entirely possible that the messenger of El Elyon is the second god of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, if you will, the 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 Lord, the Yahweh. So <clears throat> that's a really interesting concept because now we can see that when it says the angel of the Lord, it may possibly actually be talking about the messenger of God the Father sending Jesus Christ. So thus, it could be that it was the same messenger in verse 20 who was God talking to Balaam. Interesting, huh? 
That's a little point. That's something little. But what's cool is, is that God can open your mind and mine to neat things, cool things, things of understanding, of depth, that help us to grasp things that are so profound in this life. Just recently, within the last two weeks, I found something and it says, whoa, I've never taken it that way before. So I'm working on a message. That's, this is just a teaser, okay? But So I'm working on a message for the future um, where it, it changes everything as far as how we look at the kingdom of God. For me, maybe not for you. Okay. <clears throat> now let's go to 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings verse 6. And there's so many stories in the Bible that we can see where God is telling us, uh, opening the minds of his servants or non-servants or people that he's showing. And right here in 2 Kings 6, in verse, verses 14 through 20, this is Elisha's servant. And he was all scared. In, um, oh, 14 through 20. Okay. And he sent there. So this is what's happening. Um, a king was wanting to ambush the king of Israel. And so he laid an ambush and they laid in wait. And Elisha knew about it. And the, God told him. And so he sent word to the king not to pass by that way. And now the other king that was doing the ambushing was all ticked off and mad. And he says, Who's, who, who spilled the beans? There's a traitor in our camp. You know, who's the mole? Let's find him. And somebody says, no, well, no, no, my Lord. It's not that at all. It's the prophet, Elisha. He knows, he knows every word you say in secret in your bedroom. <clears throat> and so they went to send horses and chariots against Elisha. And he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God arose early and went out. And behold, the army surrounded the city in horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, master, what are we to do? And I just imagine, you know, a cartoon where the, the guy's chewing his fingernails and they're flying off like uh, wood chips from a buzzsaw. You know, <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha answered and said, Do not fear, for those that are with us are more than those with them. And Elisha prayed and said, listen to this short prayer. I pray you, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. That's it. Doesn't take much. We just have to have the intent and God working with us to do his will. And what he was doing, he was training Gehazi to be the next servant in line after Elisha, just as Elisha had been after Elijah. Verse 17b, And the Lord opened Gehazi's eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire around about Elisha. There was no way there was going to be any type of army penetrating this ball of fire surrounding Elisha, especially with this angelic horde that was surrounding the valley. I think that put his mind at ease. He stopped chewing his fingernails like, like crazy. Now, the story doesn't end right there. It continues because, verse 18, when the Syrians came down to Elisha, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, I pray you strike this people with blindness. Okay, so he Praise blindness on the people. What? Would God really honor that blindness onto the person? Yeah, he would. And, and <clears throat> Elisha said, this is not the way, nor the city. You're not even in the right place, guys. Here, follow me, and I'll bring you to the man to whom you seek. And he led them into Samaria. <clears throat> and it came to pass in verse 20, when they came to Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, Open the eyes of these men so they may see. <laughs> and they've, they've got, you know, bows and arrows and spears and swords 
and cannons and everything pointed at them. They've got bazookas and you name it. You know, the Harrier jets up there waiting just to fire. The Okay. These guys are toast. But it was with a simple prayer that Elisha had the Lord close their eyes and then open them again. You can read the rest of the sword. But the lesson in all of this is that if we don't follow God, he may make us blind in the same way that he made the Syrians. They were they were going against God's servant, not trying to follow, follow in the way. But if we don't follow God, he may blind us. He may take away what vision he's already given to us. Would God do that? Well, let's see. Mark 6. Let's turn over to New Testament now. Mark 6. And we see that the disciples didn't understand Jesus' miracles. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They saw the feeding of the 4,000. When they saw him walking on the water, and when he calmed the sea, but when they saw him walking on the water, they were amazed, but they still didn't get it. Why? Mark 6, 48-52 And he saw them laboring in the rowing because the wind was contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. <laughs> I think that's so funny. God has such a sense of humor. So here, here they are floating in a boat and they're having a rough time and whatnot. Jesus starts walking on the water and it's as though he's going to walk right by them. <laughs> like he's just on an evening stroll and, you know, well, there's just a barking dog over there and but he's behind the fence. Oh, well, da, 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 da. Just keep going on my merry way. And they're amazed, one, that there's somebody walking on the water and then he would have walked right by them. Now what happens? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was an apparition and they cried out. Again, back to the biting of the fingernails. And they all saw him and were alarmed. <laughs> it's an understatement. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Be of good courage. It is I. Do not fear. Don't worry. Be happy. Thus we have another song born. The first one was the Cotton Eye Joe, right? Okay, I'm teasing in all this. Then... Then he went up in, into the ship with them, and the seas and the wind ceased, and they were amazed in themselves far beyond measure, and they wondered, but they didn't get it. Now why is answered in verse 52, for they did not understand the miracle of the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Their hard, stony, rocky hearts were hardened and it did not allow them to have their eyes opened. They couldn't see anything because of the stoniness, the rockiness of their hearts. And yet God was working to open their minds. Let's turn now to Luke 24. Luke 24. All right, last chapter in Luke. Luke 24, verse 45. I'm going to, okay, let's just do 45. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, opening their minds to understand is the same as saying he opened their eyes to be able to see and understand spiritually. They can see now something that they hadn't been able to see. And it was the scriptures. It was with understanding. But it was because they were obedient. And, and we'll see this. Let me just see if I should do that out of order. Okay. Um, let's just, let, me, let me just read this to you real quickly. Um, I'm going to read it to you so that you don't have to turn there. But you can be turning to Luke 4 if you would. But in Psalm 119 and verse 100, it says, I have 
I understand more than the ancients because I kept your precepts. You know, we sing this. I have more understanding for I dwell on thy law. Right? I have more understanding than the ancients of old. Why? Because I obey your precepts. Obedience gives understanding. That's interesting, isn't it? Obedience opens our eyes spiritually. Obedience opens our eyes spiritually. Luke 4, 16 through 19. This is so interesting. Jesus Christ here was now beginning his ministry. He talked to the woman at the well, and now he went into the synagogue, and they handed him the scroll, and he opened it to Isaiah, and he read from Isaiah 61. But what's interesting is he added to the scroll. He added something that wasn't in Isaiah 61. And we're going to turn, turn there as well. But let's read this, um, Luke 4, 16 through 19. Um, and he came up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And according to his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was given him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written. This is interesting because this is on the Sabbath and he's teaching them uh, something very valuable and he's beginning his ministry with these words. This is this quote from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For this reason he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, Jesus talking here, to heal those who are brokenhearted and to proclaim pardon to the captives right there Right here, he inserts something. Now, he inspired Isaiah, he and God the Father, right? They inspired the prophet Isaiah to write what he wrote. Did they just not think of it now during Jesus' ministry? It's like, oh, you know what? I should add something. I should put something else in here. It's not like that. And we'll go back to Isaiah 61 and see that in just a second. But I'll ask you to hold your place here as well. But let me finish this. It says, and recovery of sight to the blind. And send forth deliverance to those who have been crushed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now let's look at Isaiah 61, keeping your place here. Isaiah 61. We see where he's quoting here from Isaiah. And it's the very same words, almost word for word, because it was a quote. Jesus was quoting from what he had inspired Isaiah to write. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Wait a minute. Uh, And to proclaim the acceptable ear of the Lord. Oh, wait, wait. Where's the blind to give the... And recovery of sight to the blind? Wait, where is that? It's not here. Yet. Opening of the prison to those who are bound and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So we don't see where Jesus talks and says, uh, where, where he had inspired Isaiah to write, giving recovery of sight to the blind. Let's keep going. The reason why he stopped right there in, in Luke 4, and it's, let me just keep reading. And after rolling up the scroll, he delivered it to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to de- say to them, Today this scripture is being fulfilled in your ears. And they had to understand that there was something deep that was going on because he was claiming that the Spirit of the Lord was resting on him and that he was there to proclaim. But they didn't challenge him on the Scripture. Why? Here's why. The rest of this is the rest of his ministry when he returns. So, Isaiah 61, 2, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and that's where he stopped. And now this is the second part of his ministry. Remember, he was cut off in the midst of the week. 
three and a half days. And now when he returns, he'll finish his, and, and he will finish his ministry to the earth. And with this, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and to appoint to those who mourn in Zion, giving to them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. That's yet to come. I mean, has he not done that in our lives? My life was a pile of ash. I had, I had no hope. What was, what was I living for? What was, what was my potential? Zilch. What was yours? God has opened my eyes and given me an understanding far beyond I ever hoped for. He's given me beauty for ashes. He's given me the oil of joy in the morning. The mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I don't have to be weighed down. What What is that saying? A ship doesn't sink because of the water around it. A ship sinks because of the water that's in it. So, what do you do? What do I do? Don't let what's going on around us get into us. We have the hope of the Spirit. We don't want the world getting into us. We are keeping that water out. We're keeping it at bay. Tongue-in-cheek. And keeping God's Spirit in our ship. So that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. That He might be glorified. And they will build the old wastes, the old waste places right over there in Isaiah 58, just a few pages back. And they will raise up the desolations of former times. This is talking about you and I doing that in the millenniums. We will be the trees supporting the, the superstructure of all that is the Godhead. We, we will be honoring God in a, in a manner by service to Him and service to His to the people that he's bringing along in the millennial reign. What a beautiful thing. And they, that's you and I, shall repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. And and if you look back, uh, I guess I have to read it. Isaiah 58, just a couple of pages back, verse 11 and 12, it says, And the Lord shall always guide you and satisfy your soul in the dry places and make your bones fat. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And those who come of you, those are the ones that we're teaching, that we're encouraging, that we're helping, where we plant the seed. And this that'll be, this is a hint to the very end of this message. That those who come of you shall build the old ruins. What's it talking about? The old ruined lives that were burnout hunks of junk that were ashy heaps. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. All these people's lives and all these people who have suffered and lived without knowing the hope of salvation or God or having a proper calling. We have that potential. Has God opened your eyes to see that? This is wonderful. I'm sure he has. God's opened your eyes spiritually so that you can see not just the physical realm around you. Our destination, our future, our hope, our zeal, our passion has forgotten his kingdom so that we can serve him. So that we can raise up these old waste lives, these old ruined lives, these old ruined waste places. And and, and we can propagate the gospel. We can plant the seeds. We can water the seeds and cause it to grow in our irrigated garden. Let's go back to 61. Isaiah 61 and verse 6. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. And it shall be said of you, the ministers of our God. Are you not called to be a king? Are you not called to be a priest? You are called to be a minister of God. What an amazing potential. But we can see that only with our spiritually opened eyes. Only the eyes that God's given to us. The spiritual eyes. Okay. Uh, now, 
this portion right here, let's turn back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. And uh, there's actually two places in Isaiah 6 that um, <coughs> is kind of interesting for us to see. So let's see. We have 20 minutes now. It's going to be tough, guys. It's going to be tough. Okay. Isaiah 6, 1. And in the, and in that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, then saw with his eyes, spiritual eyes, the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the whole temple. His glorious robes filled the whole temple space, and above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, I have speculation on that, but we don't have time to get there. Maybe one time later we'll go into uh, angels, but this is pretty amazing. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is Isaiah seeing in vision something that his normal mortal eyes could not see. Now, conversely, look at verses uh, 6 through, uh, I mean, see, uh, 6, 9, right here, 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And, and then I said, Isaiah said, here I am. Hey, hey, send me. I'll go. I'll go. I'll do it. And he said, go and tell this people, you hear indeed, but you don't understand. You see indeed, but you do not perceive it because your eyes are willfully closed. Make the heart of this people fat and make their eyes, their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. Now, this is quoted three times in the New Testament. I wanted to go to each one of them because each one of them had something to add. But let's just go to John. Let's go to John first. John 12. We're going to skip Matthew 13 for now. John 12. And um, we'll see verses 35 to, through 41. John 12, 35. And Jesus said, Yet a little while the light is with you. He's talking about himself being the light of the world, right? Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, me, he's saying, so that the darkness will not overtake you. Don't let the water of this world, this evil water, the bad corrupt water, all this corruption that's everywhere around us, don't let that in. Keep your boat secure. So that the darkness will not overtake you. For the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Jesus is talking about himself, believe in the light so that you may come to the children, of, so that you may become the children of light. Jesus spoke these things and then he departed from them and was in hiding. Verse 38, And so the word of the Lord, uh, word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, who said, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And it's for this very reason that they could not believe what Isaiah had said. He has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I would heal them. So, this there's not an angel versus a devil fight in every man's head right now. God is not, Jesus is not fighting with Satan the devil, striving and losing souls or winning souls. He calls who he wants, he opens the eyes of those he wants to see, and by God, God gives the calling, right? John 6, 44, we see that. And then we understand that Jesus then works with them once God does the drawing. And then he opens our eyes so that we can see. How has God opened your eyes? 
what do you see spiritually? What is it spiritually that we can see that we can perceive that we were not able to perceive before we were baptized and had God's Holy Spirit? Let's go now to Acts 28. Acts 28, last chapter in Acts, I believe. And we'll see that this is quoted again. And um, Acts 28b, uh, 25b. So second half, of verse 25. Well did the Holy Spirit speak by Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, in hearing you shall hear and in no way understand. And in seeing you shall see, but in no way perceive. <laughs> You're not going to get it. You can't get it. God's not opening your mind so that you can see it. He's not giving you the spiritual vision. For the heart of this people has grown fat and their ears are dull of hearing. And they've closed their eyes. And I might add willingly, willfully. Lest they should see with their eyes, continuing with Isaiah's quote and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, lest they should be converted, and thus then I should have to heal them. God doesn't want to give them a spiritual healing yet. It's not their time. God is developing his family, and he's having, he had Jesus Christ as his first of the first fruits, then he'll have the first fruits, and then he'll have the, the massive mass harvest, and who knows how many harvests he's going to have. I mean, there seems like well, that's controversial. I'm not going to get into that. But it just seems like there could be many harvests if we look uh, deeply into Scripture. But God, so yes, God closes people's eyes spiritually so that they have spiritual blindness until he is ready to convert them. And God allows deliberate blinding. <laughs> In my notes, I said, God allows deliberate blinging. <laughs> Bling! If God has opened your eyes, do you see? What do you see? If God has opened my eyes, what do I see spiritually? What can I see spiritually? Now, to confirm that God closes people's minds and deliberately causes blindness, let's go to 2 John 1. 2 John 1 and verse 9. 2 John 1.9, it says, Anyone who transgresses and does not continue in the doctrine. Okay, so they have the doctrine, and they choose to not continue with the doctrine. Rather, they choose to transgress the doctrine. Anyone who transgresses and does not continue in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. But the one who, ha who continues in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Remember Psalm 119, verse 100? I have more understanding because I dwell on your precepts, because I dwell on your law. Now, Second uh, Corinthians 3. I can't do this message without going to Second Corinthians 3. Second Corinthians 3. This is where Paul's trying to get across that they there's a new ministry and it's far deeper than simply just preaching a little bit of here or there. There's some something deeper. It is relationship. Paul saying that we have the opportunity to see God with our spiritual eyes. Not physically. We don't see physically see God. But can he who is called, do we not hear his voice? Not with our ears. But that's what Isaiah was saying. Their ears were closed and their eyes were closed. Okay, well, let's see this. Um, 12 through 16, 2 uh, Corinthians 3. Now then, because we have such a hope, we use great plainness of speech. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm just going to tell you like it is, straight. For we are not like Moses who had to put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not gaze to the end upon that glory which is now being set aside. So the glory of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament was being set aside. But there was so glorious that Moses' face glowed. 
and it scared the people because God was opening their eyes to a spiritual understanding and they couldn't handle it. God, Moses, don't talk. Don't let God talk to us. Covering our ears, right? Don't let us see God's reflection in your face. Oh, covering our eyes, right? Let's keep going. But their minds were blinded. God did that. For to the present hour, that same veil that covers over like the face of Moses has not been removed, but remains in the reading of the Old Covenant. The Old Testament, when people read the Old Testament, oh, that's all done away with. We don't have to obey the Old old Covenant, Old Law. That's That which veil is removed in Christ, when we have a fuller understanding of who and what Christ is, that Jesus Christ was preached out of the Old Testament, that Jesus Christ inspired the Old Testament, along with God the Father, then we can understand that the Old Covenant was glorious and it had an, it was emitting light-filled electrons. But the people couldn't see it. They, They wanted that veil. For to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lays on their hearts. But when their hearts turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So people actually can choose to partake of the truth if they choose to, if they would choose to. <clears throat> okay. Uh, remember Psalm 119, 100. We, we have that because, uh, we have that understanding because we embrace God and truth. Um, Acts 9. Now, this is interesting. We have to go to Acts 9. There's so many scriptures here that I can't get to. But but you, if you ponder on this and you ponder on the thoughts and see and you analyze for yourself, how has God opened my eyes? What do I see now that I didn't see before? What is my spiritual understanding and what is my spiritual depth? Can I have that deep, bonded relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ as it talks about in First John 1. Acts 9, this is so so amazing. Acts 9 uh, and verse 1, God opened Paul's eyes by closing them first. Isn't that amazing? Uh, verse 3, and it came to pass while he was journeying, he drew near to Damascus and suddenly there was a light from heaven that shined around about him. So he saw the light, right? He wasn't blind yet. There was a light. He saw it. And after falling to the ground, God knocked him off his horse. We're back to the Balaam's donkey again. Except this horse doesn't talk to him. He's actually hearing the voice of God. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, it says later that he was he was blinded. Verse 10, it says that Ananias had a vision. So God gave Ananias a vision moment where he was able to see. And he called to Ananias, verse 10b, Ananias, he said, and behold, here I am, Lord. That should be, by the way, our response. And when, when you have an understanding of God's calling you or me, we should say, here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? I'm up. It's like when a teacher called roll in school. And they'd say, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Bueller wasn't there. He didn't answer, right? Norod, Norod. What if I didn't answer? I need to answer that call. When God says, Norod, yes, sir, here I am. What can I do? Please. Let me serve you well. Open my eyes that I may see. Then he said, Lord, I, I know this Saul of Tarsus. He's a bad dude. You know, he, he's persecuting the church. And verse 12, God had given Saul a vision. And he said, he has seen in vision a man named Ananias coming and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Um, 
And he says, yeah, but he's doing all this evil stuff. Verse 15, go to this man, for he is a chosen vessel to me to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. And look at this, verse 17. Ananias went his way and came to the house, and after laying hands on his head, laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me, even Jesus, the Lord Jesus, has sent me, who appeared to you on the road, so he knew what had happened, in which you came so that you might receive sight and filled and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, as it were, the scales immediately fell from his eyes, and he instantly received sight, and he arose up and was baptized. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing, because God blinded Saul before he enlightened Saul. Sometimes he has to do that. Sometimes it takes a two-by-four, and God says, crack over the head. Byron, are you listening? Wake up, man. I'm talking to you. And it's like, oh, 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 I'm so, I'm so sorry, Lord God. Yeah, okay, I'm listening now. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes it takes that crack over the head with a two-by-four. John 9. This is the last bit of scripture. Um, John 9, this is an amazing chapter. And, and I've put this forth before. John 9, this is the chapter where Jesus Christ gives vision to the blind man. And they ask him, who sinned, the, this man or his father? But, but he was blind at birth. I, I just, from birth. I don't understand why anyone would think that he could have sinned in utero. You know, was he a baby or something and he sinned as a baby? You know, I, I don't really get that logic, but that's what they asked him. And, and Jesus said, no, uh, verse 3b, this blindness, uh, no, neither did this man sin nor his parents. Rather, this blindness came so that the works of God might be manifested or seen in him. So it might be shown in him so that people could see something amazing in him. Now, <clears throat> you can you can turn to Luke 11, uh, 33 through 36 on your own time, but we are walking now in the spiritually darkest part of this world has ever known. It was terribly dark before the flood. And that darkness means an absence of light. But we are the light of this world, and we see that in Matthew 5, 6, 14 through 16. You and I are the light of this world. We are supposed to be shining and expanding and allowing our light to shine. <clears throat> so that others may see. We have a part in Jesus' first half ministry. Isn't that cool? <coughs> Pardon me. We have, Jesus said, it wasn't only all the things that that the Holy Spirit was now come upon me for me to preach the gospel, but I'm also going to be giving sight to those who are blinded. And that is part of our effort along with Jesus. Because why? Because we're Christians. Because we're named after him. We are Christians. Christians. We're followers of Christ. So as followers of Christ, we should be imparting that same vision, the same spiritual understanding, that same light that can emit from our faces just like it did from Moses' face. But not, not in a physical sense like it was in Moses' time, but rather in a spiritual sense. Okay. Almost. Pardon me just a second. I had that little lozenge in my throat to kind of soothe my throat a little bit. Almost every verse in this whole chapter is either headed towards sightedness or blindness. You're either trying to see something or understanding something to be seen, or you're the Pharisees trying to hide and obfuscate to shield the truth and, and, and trying not to see, trying not to allow Jesus to have done his miracle, which he did. So, um... We are not to hide our light. But now let me just read some of these verses. 7. And he said to him, 
Now, verse 6. After saying these things, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and he applied the clay to the eyes of the blind man. So he made mud. He spat in the dirt and made mud and put it on the eyes of the blind man. Now, I've submitted this before, that these are the same two elements. There was the mist and the earth, the red clay, the Adam, and that's what the Creator God formed Adam out of, out of the dirt of the ground and the mist. So he had the same two elements, and then he breathed onto him, and gave him life through the breath. Interesting. Here, Jesus makes the same mud, the same clay that he made man out of, maybe, and he creates new eyes for the blind man that was blind since birth. Verse 7, And he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Then he went and washed, and he came from there seeing. He washed. The water was the symbol of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Do we see these amazing things? Does God open our minds to see? Yes. Thank you, Lord, for showing us a little bit. Okay, keep going. 10 through 11. Then they said to him, How are your eyes open? And he answered them, A man named called Jesus, made clay, and applied it to my eyes, and said, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And after I went and washed, I received sight. I can now see again. Um, 14 through 15. Now, it was the Sabbath day. Remember when Jesus opened, uh, opened his ministry? It was the Sabbath day, and he said that was part of his job, was to give the blind sight. Now, it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, Therefore, the Pharisees, in turn, also asked him how he had received his sight. How he had received sight. So, (laughs) again, we have sightedness. Verse 17. And they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he says, He's a prophet. What? He opened his eyes, just as he'd done for us. Verse 21. And now, and how does he now see this is the blind man's parents talking? We don't know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He's of age. He's over 30. He, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. He's, um, of, of physical maturity. He cannot speak for himself. He's of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. Verses 25 and 6. Then he answered and said, whether he is a sinner, talking about Jesus, the, this the blind man, I do not know. One thing I do know, the facts are, I was blind, but now I see. Is that not you and me? Verse 26, and they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So they're acknowledging after a sense that he did open his eyes. Verse 30, and the man answered and said to him, them, This is truly an amazing thing that you do not know where this man has come from, yet he has opened my eyes. So time and again it shows that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man. Now, look at verse 39. This is Jesus declared... um, um, Purpose. This is his stated purpose. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see might see. He's going to give judgment so that us blind ones can can now see. And those who see might become blind. So we don't fully understand how he's going to blind those who see, but we look at the Pharisees who thought they saw, and thus they became blind because they rejected the truth of God. Now let's finish 40 and 41. And those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things, and they said to him, So are we then also blind? Huh? Huh? Is that what you're saying? You're saying that we're blind? We're the, we're the guys in the know. We're the spiritual leaders. God's working through us. Don't you know that? 
Jesus said to them, If you were blind, then you would not have sin. This is scary stuff. Jesus is warning them, the Pharisees, that they are in danger of the judgment, which he just said that he would do in, in verse 39. This they are in danger of their, losing their eternal life here. Listen, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains without covering, without any blood shed for it. You still have your sin, Jesus is telling the Pharisees. Thus, they retain their blindness. They, thinking that they see, they are blind. Does this not remind you of Romans 1? That there's, there's so many scriptures that could support all this, but it's incumbent upon you and I to strive <clears throat> for spiritual vision, to see God in His clarity, and to hear His voice and to obey. So in conclusion, what do we do with the vision, with the seeing, with the opening of the eyes that God has given to us? Well, the first thing is we have to thank Him. We have to show appreciation. We have to glorify God for granting us vision that we would not have had otherwise. Secondly, we have to expand it. We have to grow it. We, we have to seek more of it. We have to pray for more of it. God, grant me that I might see. Help me to understand. Show me your way. Right? Did not David do that all the time? <clears throat> so we want to develop this gift. And what happens if we don't develop it? We lose it. Third thing is, and this is what I was saying earlier, that hinting that us reflecting our light and shining our light so that we, God's light rather, God, reflecting God's light down to us and our faces going outward. We have to give it to others. We have to share it. We have to expand our realm of influence. We have to let our light so shine. <clears throat> of course, we don't want to cast our pearls before swine, but we can plant seed, can't we? We can plant seed wherever we go and see if there's something comes of it. Maybe God will cause that seed to germinate and it'll come up like a little plant. And maybe that little plant will become one of the trees like you and I are that we read back in Isaiah. We can plant these seeds. We share, we share this because we appreciate that God, what God has given to us and we want others to have it as well. We want to enjoy our gift and we want others to enjoy the gift that God has given to us so that he could give it to them. Brothers and sisters, you know, we are to build the old waste places of people's ruined lives. When they're sitting in their ashes, we, God through us, through his spirit in us, can give them beauty for their ashes. We can be a witness to them. We can share with them God's truth because we can help to open the eyes through our works by planting seeds, by allowing our light to so shine. We can help to heal our neighbors. And as a Christ follower, as a Christian, as a Christian, we can do, <clears throat> we can do, what can you do? You can do that part of Jesus's ministry. We can help to fulfill that part of Jesus's ministry through us. We can spread the light and we can give sight wherever you can.